This is Namitha Sethota for NEJM Catalyst. Today, I'm speaking with Drs. Komal Bajaj and Eric Way from New York City Health and Hospitals. Dr. Bajaj is Chief Quality Officer at New York City Health and Hospitals at the Jacoby Hospital. She serves as Clinical Director for NYC Health and Hospital Simulation Center and is a Professor of Obstetrics and Gynecology at Albert Einstein College of Medicine. Dr. Eric Way, is the Senior Vice President and Chief Quality Officer for New York City Health and Hospitals. NYC H&H is the largest municipal health system in the United States with 11 acute care hospitals, five skilled nursing facilities, 60 plus community health centers, a home care agency, correctional health services, and an insurance plan. It provides care to one of the most ethnically diverse communities in the world. I have asked both Dr. Bajaj and Dr. Wei to join us today for a discussion about quality transformation efforts at NYC Health and Hospitals. Komal and Eric, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Amitha. Glad to be here. Eric, offices of quality and safety have different roles and purviews in different organizations. Can you kick us off today sharing an overview of what the Health and Hospitals Quality and Safety Office looks like? Thanks for the question, Amita. Uh, so my role here at New York City Health and Hospitals um, was a new one as of 2018, and therefore the Office of Quality and Safety um, was also launched uh, in 2018. And it started with what you would expect in a quality and safety office, quality assurance, performance improvement, patient safety, risk management, accreditation, and regulatory. Uh, over the past three plus years, um, it has grown. I think Dr. Katz, our president and CEO, um, who I came to, to health and hospitals with, uh, he has a, a couple kind of guiding principles. One is um, being aligned with the mission uh, of serving the most vulnerable. Uh, number two, doing whatever needs uh, to be done. Uh, and number three, making as big of a difference as possible for the patients uh, that we serve. And so this office has, has grown um, to include anything from our arts and medicine uh, program to emergency management, hospital police and security, data and analytics, uh, and, and many more departments. And so I think it is definitely uh, unique uh, compared to uh, other systems uh, here. Komal, you and I have uh, chatted about the value of integrating quality uh, into the culture of a health system. Share with us some examples about how you all are intentionally doing this at uh, health and hospitals. Absolutely. Um, in order for quality transformation to be successful, we had to create and foster a culture that builds agency in our teams so that improvement activities can thrive. Um, one way to intentionally build agency was to ensure that our values of integrity, compassion, accountability, respect, and excellence, also known as eye care, are not just outwardly socialized and open to feedback, but that as programs are implemented, the links to how those programs help manifest our values are clear. The second key way to integrate quality into the culture of our health system was to address staff wellness needs. Mitigating burnout was honestly a key priority for the system well before the pandemic. In 2018, uh, through Eric's vision, uh, each site established 
the Helping Healers Heal program, which is a tiered peer-led wellness program to provide emotional first aid through team debriefings, peer-to-peer uh, -peer support, and escalation for mental health expertise. We saw ripples of culture change from this program before the pandemic and have continued to extend the program uh, as well as other wellness efforts, such as the establishment of recharge rooms during the pandemic and beyond. JW Marriott's quote from many years ago, you know, which um, is often touted in sort of leadership forums, uh, still holds true today. If you take care of your employees, they will take good care of your customers. Let me push on that a little bit, Como, which is how are you measuring, if at all, the impact on quality of all of these wellness initiatives? Yeah, so, you know, there are tangible um, ways of measuring, say, um, a culture of safety, for example, through of the surveys that um, our health system deploys, like many other health systems, um, you know, every other year. But I think that the more nuanced measurement, which will take sort of much longer to truly ascertain impact, is really the engagement with, um, you know, from our staff with not only sort of doing their day job, but also their willingness to share opportunities for enhancement that they see and engage in helping solve those problems. And I sort of look at it as a, uh, a layer cake or a, a crepe cake where each sort of layer um, builds upon each other uh, so that you know, over time we're, we're, we're building this sort of very beautiful, uh, you know, not only thing to look at, this dessert, but something that um, is really substantial over time. And I would just build upon that um, to talk a little bit about the quality and safety transformation plan that we came up with uh, in the middle of 2018 uh, that we've been working on for the past three years. And we wanted to boil down all the feedback we got from uh, countless sites talking to leadership, talking to frontline providers, talking to our nurses and other staff into what was working, what wasn't working, and, and how we wanted to move forward. And so we boiled it down to four distinct points. Uh, that initially started as steps, but we realized we needed to work on all four kind of in parallel. And number one was to fix the culture, um, to create a culture of safety. And the biggest thing here was putting the focus back on our most precious resource, as Como mentioned, uh, taking care of our employees. Uh, but it was, it was more than that. It was restoring psychological safety. And so I wanted the staff to be able to raise their hand uh, and feel safe telling us when something went wrong, when something almost went wrong, or when they have an idea to do something better to provide higher quality or safer care for our patients. And so a concrete way that we can measure that is the number of near misses or good catches that are being reported by our staff, um, how much staff are are uh, and at what levels staff are engaging with our electronic incident reporting system, which we call VOICE uh, here. And so really uh, restoring that psychological safety so that they can engage is really the foundation uh, to transformation and to quality improvement. So a lot of work there. The second point was we had uh, engaged a consultant for 10 years from 2007 to 2017 to do performance improvement for the system. They were industrial engineers, they were not healthcare workers, 
uh, and um, it's not here anymore. So it was not successful. And uh, we strongly believe that transformation happens from the ground up, all the quality improvement uh, philosophies, whether it be Lean or Six Sigma or the IHI model for improvement, they share that common principle. It's those who are doing the work um, who are best positioned to improve the work. And so we wanted to build quality improvement capacity across all 42,000 staff at health and hospitals. But not everybody needs to be a chief quality officer, uh, but everybody needs to know something. And so we built it uh, around four tiers, so quality 101 for everyone. Uh, we've launched multiple uh, performance improvement champion trainings, such as the Healthcare Admin Scholars Program, Clinical Leadership Fellowship, and the Quality Academy. And these are champions that will go back to their units and departments and lead their colleagues in performance improvement projects. Tiers three and four are for managers, supervisors, and then executive uh, uh, leaders. And so what do our managers and supervisors need to know about blocking and tackling and supporting and leading with, let's go look at it together, not leading with no. What do our uh, CEOs and cabinets need to know about interpreting the output of performance improvement and engaging in the shared decision-making around PI targets, uh, as well as blocking and tackling uh, in their executive roles. Uh, point three was not fixing the culture and providing internal capacity to do change, uh, quality improvement, and then having people swimming in different directions and inadvertently working against each other. We want to align what everyone was working on with a shared vision for New York City Health and Hospitals. And so we uh, align them around our strategic pillars. Um, so we have five strategic pillars, quality and outcomes, care experience, access to care, financial sustainability, and the culture of safety. And so using a balanced scorecard methodology for individuals, for units, departments, for facilities, we know everyone's working equally in each of those five swim lanes, all swimming in the same direction towards the common vision. And then the last point was to become data informed um, on our journey to high reliability. And so um, like many organizations, we had a lot of data, but we didn't know what the data sources were. There wasn't true governance around it. You would see the same uh, data element um, on three different dashboards for the same time period with three different numbers. And so that's when we embarked on our DNA or data analytics um, strategy uh, and vision um, so that we will uh, have a source of truth and be more data informed in the decisions that we make. Um, so everything that each of those departments uh, within the office quality here centrally um, as well as at facilities are aligning around this, this four point uh, transformation plan that is an incredibly helpful frame that helps uh inform my next my next question which is that there is this system level strategy and Cuomo and Eric, you know, you are the two two of the quality leaders closely working together at the system level as well as at the local level. And it is not easy to get to an optimal balance of local versus system level uh, leadership implementation, and especially not across 11 hospitals and 60 plus community health centers. How do you effectively navigate what I will call a healthy tension between system and local to make sure that you're still advancing the work uh, and, and moving towards the, the mission and vision of the organization? So as a healthcare leader as a at the facility level, 
I think one of the core um, uh, features that has led to successful quality transformation um, is uh, really thinking about um, when, when there's a system level priority, um, no matter what it is, just like when there's a, a, a sentinel article that comes out that will help change practice, we really must think locally on who are our champions, what are our barriers, uh, and what are our opportunities. And in doing so, we're able to move up the PDSA ramp um, and, and really take what is a system vision um, to, to something that is locally adopted. And in doing so, um, one of the, the key ways that we've had success is by celebrating small wins. That may come in the way of sharing a story of one patient, uh, one clinical encounter, or one birth um, you know, from our local community uh, until we have enough data to draw more longitudinal conclusions. And I'll just add, add to that, um, that it, it started at the very top, right? How the board uh, treats senior management uh, here at New York City Health and Hospitals, how senior management treats uh, facility leaders, um, that affects the culture across the, the system. And unfortunately, in the past, there was a lot of top-down uh, leadership mandates. Um, there was a lot of blame, finding, finger pointing. And so the Quality Assurance Committee of the board was actually the most feared uh, quarterly committee uh, where facilities would have 10, 15 prep meetings and come to the, to the board and still the CEO has a panic attack before coming into the room. And so... Um, that was one of our, our uh, initial priorities was nobody does a better job uh, when you tell them they're doing a bad job or making them feel bad. Uh, and we didn't want that culture to, to roll downhill, um, so to speak. And so um, having Dr. Katz uh, sitting in the coffee meeting and, and saying something like that was an incredibly sad case. I don't think there was anything else um, our doctors and nurses or staff could have done uh, to affect the outcome of that case. Um, really having a tone of learning together uh, in that room, uh, talking about positive cases, right? Um, it is the, the rare case that ends up in our risk management uh, list um, on our QAPI book. Uh, but there are so many good catches, so many great saves that are happening every day. Um, so really changing the culture um, at that QIC, which we now the, call the Quality Assurance Performance Improvement uh, Subcommittee of the Board, uh, really sets the tone for the rest of the interaction. And as I mentioned, we strongly believe that it's those uh, on the front lines with the patients and their families in front of them who can affect change. And so thinking about what essential offices, the system's role is to support uh, the facilities, support the staff on the, the front line. Uh, and so a lot of um, increased shared decision-making about what are the most important quality targets and metrics and some shared decision-making. Uh, I, I was fortunate to, to spend four months as an interim CEO at Elmhurst Hospital, and we rolled out the balanced scorecard a methodology where each unit and department, clinical and non-clinical, was going to select five performance improvement targets. But I wanted those who were in, working in those departments to tell me what was most important to them um, in setting SMART goals uh, for the year. And, and to uh, um, 
my surprise, um, they selected a lot of the things that uh, we would have selected, right? But they're going to be so much more empowered and so much more ownership over those PI projects, not because I told them that they have to work on it, but they wanted to work on it and show uh, leadership that they can, can move those, those targets. Eric, there is a growing view that inequities in care delivery and certain drivers of those inequities can and should be addressed from a quality frame. Do you agree and, and why? Uh, and I'd love to hear some ex experiences and recent efforts to integrate quality efforts with the strategic priority you mentioned earlier. Uh, and then Como would love to hear your experience as well. Yeah, I agree 100%. Um, and equity is one of those pillars in the quality uh, framework, but it's often thought of and mentioned last. Um, and I'll just start with me personally. I think the the pandemic, um, the Black Lives Matter uh, protests of last summer after George Floyd's uh, murder really caused me to have uh, personal reflection as well as as an organization, uh, some introspection. And, you know, we believe we have the best mission. We serve the most vulnerable 1.1 million New Yorkers. Uh, the two most important words in our mission statement is without exception. So anyone who comes through our doors uh, without exception, we want them to get the highest quality and the safest patient care and the best uh, patient experience. Um, but were we hiding behind the mission? Uh, was I hiding behind working for uh, a safety net system and being a minority myself um, to, to not learn more uh, about inequities and learn more about how I can be more anti-racist. Uh, and so that led to um, not only, uh, you know, me wanting to, to, to learn more, but really challenging us as an office and as an organization to, to be better and do better. And so we did stand up uh, Equity and Access Council uh, to supplement our equity, diversity, and inclusion subcommittee of the board. There are four subgroups of uh, ENA uh, council that's um, co-chaired by our chief nursing officer and our chief population health officer. Um, we also revisited our strategic pyramid. So the strategic pyramid was what we put together when we got here in 2018. And we looked at it and we said, equity is nowhere on this pyramid uh, and really kind of working with our board, working with our equity and access council. Is it a sixth pillar? Um, is it in the vision statement? Is it in the mission statement? And what we ended up um, settling on is that it is cross-cutting across all of our strategic pillars is the foundation. So now racial and social equity is the foundation of our strategic pyramid and equity is explicitly called out in our, in our vision statement. Now, within the Office of Quality and Safety, we did a lot of helping healers heal debriefs for our staff to be able to reflect, speak their truth, how they were processing and feeling. We held a book club um, on the book, How to Be Anti-Racist, uh, and that really challenged everyone to think about, you know, personally, what could they be doing uh, more to, to fight against inequities. Uh, but we wanted to do something to incorporate equity into all the facets of uh, quality and safety, but we also wanted to do something right away. Um, the Equity and Access Council was working on uh, a strategic plan uh, for how the system was going to tackle this, but we were really trying to, to follow the IHI model for improvement of what can we do different tomorrow. 
and test it and then keep PDSAing it. And so what we did is we added a standing prompt to all of our risk management case discussions at the COPY of the board. Um, and the prompt is discuss any biases uh, or structural inequity that contributed to this case. And the first round caught a lot of our facilities by surprise, um, a lot of, uh, you know, shocked um, faces, uh, blank stares, um, that visceral reaction of, no, we're not racist. Um, but it set an expectation in front of board members that they needed to be able to speak to it. And so the next quarter, we knew for sure that risk management cases, the, or the RCAs, uh, that risk management was leading at the facilities, this was a standing prompt there. As risk management was investigating adverse events, it was part of their investigation. And even when staff were reporting uh, events, good catches, um, they're thinking about it as well. And what's been really cool is that that standing prompt um, has overflowed into other areas. For example, patient grievances and patient complaints. Uh, those committees are now thinking about bias uh, and structural inequities and how they may have contributed to the case. Um, and similar to that, we've, we've tried to um, incorporate it into everything that we're doing with our electronic incident reporting, our patient safety work, uh, our performance improvement work, and I'll let Como share a little bit of how uh, she's thought about um, incorporating equity into our balanced scorecards. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Eric. So, you know, um, as we think about Jacoby's Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion Committee, which from a governance standpoint reports into our hospital-wide uh, Quality Assurance Performance Improvement Committee, um, it really sort of um, centers around two important um, elements. One is, um, again, going with the point of building a culture of safety. It's about creating safe spaces or affinity groups for individuals to, to discuss and really think about um, sort of opportunities um, for healing um, and, uh, and opportunities to ingrain equity in, into the activities of the hospital. The second core component um, is really thinking about our real SOGI data, our race, ethnicity, and language preference data, as well as our sexual orientation and gender identity data. Um, you know, we want to make sure that we're collecting the best information because um, as we think about our performance improvement projects, we're applying an equity lens to every performance improvement project that uh, we're initiating. You know, as we think about sort of making gains in performance improvement, we really want to apply a thoughtful lens as to what might be a structural barrier um, and apply that lens to ensure that the gains that we are seeing um, are consistent across uh, different populations. For example, we uh, embedded, we, we were able to decrease length of stay um, by embedding a mobility technician into one of our units. Uh, we uh, looked at uh, outcomes based on language preference to ensure that non-English language preference um, was not a barrier uh, to inclusion in the program, and I'm happy to say that it wasn't. And so I encourage, um, you know, sort of quality leaders as they're thinking about their performance improvement programs to ensure that they apply an equity lens to the work that they're doing to make sure that the gains are consistent. Or if they're not, find opportunities to continue that work to make sure that all groups um, experience similar gains. Is there an example, uh, Como, of a performance improvement project where you found uh, that applying the equity lens showed that the care was actually not equitable? 
Yeah, I'll, um, thanks for that, Nemeth. I'll, I'll um, share one recently. Um, you know, prior to the pandemic, we actually had a very robust um, uh, a, a peer support group where we sort of created forums for uh, patients with different conditions to be able to interact um, and, um, you know, socialize and, you know, talk about their care. Um, and we, uh, we as the pen, just as many pivots were occurring during the pandemic, we switched uh, those forums to a virtual for format. And, you know, we're really happy that we were able to continue that effort during the pandemic. Um, but then, you know, after, uh, after a couple of sessions, we realized that um, we really weren't hitting the, the majority of our patients because being able to get onto uh, sort of the virtual platform uh, was not something that was consistently available to our patients. And so, you know, that, that really opened up the opportunity for us to sort of think deeply and work harder to make sure that we were able to reach those patients where they were. And Amit, I could share an example as well um, of one of the first cases uh, or performance projects that came in front of the Quapi board that incorporated the equity lens. It was um, a performance improvement project on stroke care and trying to get time to CT scan down to get more patients eligible for TPA. Um, and when they applied the equity lens, they found that over 60% um, of the stroke patients in this facility were African-American, but only 40% of those patients who received TPA were African-American. And so, um, you know, in, in general, I think it, I, I personally am a little embarrassed that we never applied equity lenses before, right? You see uh, uh, meeting the AIM statement or your SMART goal and, and as, a, as a reason to celebrate and high fives for the entire PI team, but would we still be high-fiving if it turns out that it was disproportionately um, uh, improved in, in certain racial groups uh, versus others. And I think the answer uh, would be no. And so just by applying this lens, now we need to look at, you know, what are the, the contributing factors? Um, what, and as we identify those root causes, what are the PDSAs or the corrective actions that we're gonna do to address these disparities? Um, is it um, the delay in, in recognition? of stress symptoms? Is it distrust of the healthcare system? So waiting too long to come in, you're outside the, the window for TPA, um, but really trying to figure out like why these disparities uh, exist and, and how we can close those gaps. I respect the commitment to actioning on the, the observations and the, uh, and the answers that are coming out of the, the questions that you're asking about the data. Let's end with one last question, and that is related to learnings during the pandemic. What is one thing that each of you or your teams learned or did uh, with regards to the, the quality agenda and strategy uh, during the pandemic that you are going to carry forward uh, in this new chapter? Yeah, you know, um, I, I reflect back on January 2020 when we had so thoughtfully crafted um, the the quality and safety agenda for Jacoby, and then you know as we began to prepare for the pandemic and as the surge started, we had to sort of quickly, rightfully so, shelve that agenda to focus on um, sort of the task at hand. And I think 
one of the core lessons going forward is that you know we 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 shouldn't go back to how healthcare was and and we have a real opportunity not just to sort of change how healthcare is delivered but how it feels to deliver that care and so as a quality leader um as, as coming out of this pandemic um and thinking about how do we prioritize initiatives i think you know looking back and seeing which initiatives had the most sort of clinical or operational benefit um, is one thing, but also really looking at which initiatives sort of promoted empathy, promoted psychological safety. I think it's, it's the combination of those two things, you know, prioritizing those initiatives that not just had clinical benefit, but also prioritize psychological safety that will, will really populate our quality and safety agenda going forward. And for me, I think, you know, on top of the uh, emotional and psychological support for our healthcare heroes, it was really the inequities um, in healthcare that, right, the cracks in the foundation of the U.S. healthcare system that, that became valleys in, um, in the pandemic as well as uh, the, the Black Lives Matter um, movement last year, um, it was really hard to work in the emergency departments and see uh, the waves and waves of COVID positive patients coming in who were uh, essential workers, underrepresented minorities, those who um, were living with nine or 10 other people in the same room under the same roof. Um, and then seeing the the disproportionate effect of the, the lockdowns um, that, that had to happen in New York City and, and um, losing housing, food insecurity, and all those social determinants of health that disproportionately affected our, our patients as well. And so I don't think um, we can ever look at um, healthcare delivery, quality and safety, transformation and work without having equity really at the, the forefront of, of everything that we do. And so proud that we're taking the initial steps, but there's so much more uh, that we need to do to, to address this, um, these inequities in, in the US healthcare system. Komal and Eric, thank you so much for sharing your insights with us today. And thank you for all the great work uh, that you're doing at uh, Health and Hospitals in New York. All right, our pleasure. Thank you for having us.